Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Before I make too much jokes, let us jump in to tonight's sermon. Um, and just also a quick recap before we jump into the sermon, just uh, some news that I want to share with you guys so that you can specifically pray for us and also partner with us. We planted the church in Heidelberg in the beginning of the year. Some of you might not know that, but we planted the church in the beginning of the year. And we're kind of the base church that oversees and that takes responsibility for the church that side. And we started an encounter series last week at Shofar Heidelberg. And normally that we do in Wednesday evenings, Encounter 1 and Encounter 2, where we explain the basic doctrines of what we believe and also what we believe um, surrounding church. We started with that last week. I shared on salvation. Maria was there this morning sharing on the person and works of the Holy Spirit. And so also just pray for Maria for some energy. You know, he's doing a, a triathlon. He preached this morning that side, led worship now, and he's doing Kiddies Church. You know, looking forward for much reward in heaven one day. Um, But pray for us as we are busy doing the encounter series that side. And also if you know about people that's there looking for a church, tell them to go and look and see what's going on that side. But really pray for the church there. It's really going well. A couple of small group leader couples already raised up and planted out. So um, it's great to see what God can do with willing hearts. When people say, here we are, Lord, use us to further your kingdom. So please pray for that. And then also exciting, we're starting with a new sermon series tonight while we started this morning but same day just a different shift you know us pastors we also work night shift sometimes that's where we are tonight and it's intelligent little sinners a biblical approach to parenting and just before we start maybe just to see parents here tonight see some hands okay just also to explain that what we are going to look at is also applicable to discipleship a lot of the principles, a lot of the things that we're going to discuss also applicable when we walk a road of discipleship with someone. Why? Because the end goal hopefully is the same. For people to glorify, honor, serve and know God. Hopefully that's the goal. That's where we're working towards. And also to say that specifically tonight as we're going to look at some principles, very applicable for those of us who do not yet have st- children but are going to have children. And specifically when we work through a series like this, Many times there's a lot of mixed emotions, specifically of parents and of all the parents. You know, when we work through certain things in life, there's almost kind of many times this realization, if only I knew. If only I knew. And the reaction of a lot of people, please tell me it's not too late. And the good news is for those who don't have kids yet, it's definitely not too late. And there's definitely still some time. Amen. And let me pray for us and then we dive in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that as we go through this sensitive topic, Lord, that by your grace, Lord, we receive hearts that's willing to hear, Lord, and receive and bear fruit, Father, when your word comes to us tonight, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that when you come, Lord, with a convicting word, Lord, it's A good father wanting to give life. When you come with an encouraging word, Lord, it's a good father wanting to give life. The hopeful word is a good father wanting to give life, Lord. And thank you that we can receive everything from you, Lord, because we know who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect example. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. And thank you, Father, for your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start with this series, just a little bit of a disclaimer that this is perhaps one of the most sensitive topics that we can address. Amen? Sensitive, it's, it's a vulnerable thing. It's not easy for us to many times speak about this because all of us were raised by someone. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, whether it's been in a, a children's home, wherever we were, we were raised by someone. Some people had influence in our lives. We saw an example of something. And the reality is that we, we are going to measure our reality against God's ideal. And whenever it comes to that, it doesn't quite measure up. All of us can admit, doesn't matter how good the house that we grew up in, it still falls short of the ideal of God. Why? Because we are sinful human beings. And that's true of all of us. So even in the best home, there was some bad. But also luckily, because of God and His grace, even in the worst of homes, there was something good. Something about God and His grace that shines through. Something that we can learn, that we can experience and grow from. Amen. And as we work through this, we might experience a lot of emotions. Specifically, maybe when we focus on how we were raised. And there might be the tendency to justify ourselves. Okay, now I now do this because they did that. Are you with me? We tend to do that. We tend to go through those things. There might be some resentment. There might be anger. There might be unforgiveness. There might be joy. As we saw, man, my parents did so well. And an amen as to, we can embrace that and now do the same for our kids. Or maybe when it comes to us and how we are currently raising our kids and how we may be approaching discipleship, there can also be regret. Some of us wondering, you know, is it too late now? Can I do that the other way now? But whatever we experience, may we take that to God and allow Him to come and heal, to come and guide and to come and lead. Amen. God can restore. But it's still important for us to see the seriousness of what we are dealing with. And also as we go through this, excuse me if I get a little bit emotional or passionate, but it's really something that's close to my heart and something that's a very serious thing as we address this as the church. So just to quickly explain the title of the sermon series before we get to the title of the specific sermon tonight, Intelligent Little Sinners. So when it comes to raising kids, I think if we can keep those three things in mind, and constantly before us, we will do well in our expectation of what we can expect of our kids and how we are to raise them. And to maybe define each one of them, intelligent. The truth is that our kids are more intelligent than we can ever imagine. You know, maybe as I say that, you might have the tendency to say, look, see, many people say, I expect too much from my kids, or I put too much pressure on them. Now the pastor said they're much more intelligent than we can ever believe. But we're going to get to the little and the sinners part as well now. And what I mean by that is that the world's constantly lowering the standard for what kids can and should be able to do. <clears throat> Except when it comes to sin and sexuality. That's being pushed all the more sooner. And there's a reason for that. Why? And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But maybe to just define that fact that our kids are more intelligent than we can ever believe, what do you think is the age of a child? When we speak about children, what's the age there? When is someone a child? When is someone supposed to be mature? 
What's that number that you have in your head at the moment? Because for the Bible, coming of age is 13 years old. 13 years old. That's when someone becomes mature. That's when someone can reason with adults, join into the life of adults, take responsibility for themselves and start to function in the world around them. In the biblical times, teenagers were already married and had children. It's an interesting concept, you know, that we, we struggle to, to grapple with because in our mind, the teenagers are still children. And at first it was 13 and then it became 16 and then 18 and then 21. And so the age is shifting all the more and we expect less and less of kids. And even now it's difficult for us to imagine a 13-year-old being an adult or taking responsibility for themselves to be able to reason with us. Amen? It's a little bit difficult. And also the reason why kids are growing up all the more immature is because we have that expectation of them. They cannot know yet. They cannot understand yet. They cannot take responsibility yet. And so we raise them in that way and so they grow up in that way. And not only are they more intelligent when it comes to intellectual understanding, but also emotional intelligence. And my two boys, Shailen and Vian, they were two years old when they understood the difference between manipulation, jealousy, and selfishness. They knew when they did it, they knew when we did it, unfortunately as well. But they can understand that if we have the willingness to teach it to them. They're not gonna understand that by themselves, they're not gonna just one day, Hey, Dad, I just realized what jealousy is. Two-year-old doesn't don't do that. If we have the willingness to teach it to them. And specifically, Vianney likes to manipulate the Lord. You know, me and Silna just spoke about it outside as well. We were away for a couple of weeks and she took care of them. And when he does that, you know, and when he goes into that baby voice and when he acts in a certain way, you can ask him, what are you busy with? Vian, what mark you know? And he will tell you, manipulasi. I'm busy manipulating. You can ask him, okay, what's going to happen if you continue doing that? I'm going to get disciplined. And then he stops doing that. And as we drive to school, we normally listen to music. I get a song that I can listen to. Then Shailen gets a song that he can listen to. Then Vian gets a song that he can listen to. And so the thing rotates the whole time. But some days I'm a bit lazy. And I don't want to continuously go through the songs and put the songs into the playlist so that everyone can listen to their songs. And I decide today I'm just going to listen to my music. And as we drive to school and the second song comes on, they will tell me, hey, Papa listen to the old tight Papa's music. Dad, you're the whole time listening to your own music now. I'm like, yeah, now today I'm only going to listen to my own music. Should we listen to your music again tomorrow? And then they'll tell me, Daddy has a selfish heart. Papa is self-sugtig hard. They're two years old and they understand the difference between that. But then as they understand that, you know, to keep these three things in balance, and you think to yourself, wow, man, the capacity that they have to understand this. And immediately you want to raise the expectation. Man, I'm going to teach them now and they're going to be so mature. And these well-behaved kids, 10 minutes later, they pull their pants down in public. And you're like, what? How on earth? How did we go from that to this? How did that happen? I mean, someone new comes into the door and I say, hey, greet, greet the people, please. You are poof. And then they laugh and run away and I'm like, oh, who's it went like? How did that just happen? From going to understanding these complex things to pulling down their pants in public 
to calling someone poof. That just happened. Why? Because they are still little and they are still sinners. Now just because we are saved doesn't mean our kids automatically get saved. They are born as sinners and they need salvation and grace just like we do. And we as parents know that you don't have to teach your kid how to beat your brother or your sister or your friend. They do that on their own. I never went to Shailen and told him, listen here, if your brother irritates you, this is how you hit him on the head with a car. I never had to teach Vian, listen here, if your brother irritates you, this is how you kick him. They do that on their own. Why? Because they are sinners. They remain small, but they are more intelligent than we know. And if we bear that in mind, then we'll do well and have a proper expectation to what to expect. On the one hand, when they do something incredible and understand something complex, not to think, wow, there it is, the magic moment happened. Smooth sailing from here. Now we know that in five minutes' time we can expect the complete opposite. But to get to the title tonight, the ability and the willingness to love well. The ability and the willingness to love well. And it's a thing that I think we many times jump past when it comes to parenting. We want to get to the part where we get, hey, how do we get these guys to behave? How do we get them to obey? How do we get them to listen to us? Because everybody, regardless of your faith, if you're a parent, want well-behaved children. Amen? Nobody wants a kid not to listen to them. Nobody wants a kid not to behave well. Everybody desires that. But the first question before we get to our kids is that we should do a little bit of introspection into our own hearts and ask the question, do we have the ability and the willingness to love our children well? Do we have the ability and the willingness to love our children well? And for the singles, do you have the willingness and the ability to love those around you well? Do you have the ability and the willingness to love yourself well? And not the self-love that the world proclaims, we're going to get to that in a moment, <coughs> but genuine love. Do we have the willingness and the ability to love our children well? And automatically we want to kind of jump to the answer and say, yes, obviously, that's why we're here. We love them, we, we invest a lot in them. There's a lot of things that we want to do, but this is something that we shouldn't just jump to too quickly and really do introspection and really ask and define a couple of things. And the first one is, what does it mean to love well? What does it mean to love someone else? What does it mean to love your child, children well? What does that mean? If you had to define that where you're sitting right now, what would you say? What's the one-liner? What does it mean to love them well? Because not only is the world's definition of love incorrect, it's in opposition to God's truth. Amen? Where worldly love is defined as tolerance and whatever makes you happy, whatever you want to do. If you tolerate the behavior of people and you allow them to do what they want to do, then you love them well. What does the Bible call that? Lawlessness. When we want to do whatever we want to do, it's actually the root of sin. Think about this. In the garden, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve was in the garden. And God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after they ate, we read in Genesis 3:23, behold, the man has become like one of us, both knowing good and evil. That implies what? That before that, they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. So how did life work? As simple as this. God said, they obeyed. 
God said they obeyed. Why? Because he's God and they are not. Simple. God says they obey. And now here in comes the knowledge of good and evil and what do people do since then? We want to decide, we want to reason, we want to see. And we might approach God and we might read his word but we're still going to just define it for ourselves for a moment. We're going to maybe pray about it, maybe reason about it a little, maybe plan, maybe budget. And if then everything seems okay to us, then we'll obey. Because we want to decide. And the definition of love is not tolerating people's behavior and allowing them to do what they want to do. Something completely different. It's doing what is best for us and doing what is best for others. And what is best for us and what is best for others? Also a question that we need to answer. Secondly, the question that we need to answer is, do we have the ability to love well? Do we have the ability to love well? And what is needed to love well? What's the problem? Why don't we love well? A lot of things that we should answer for ourselves before we just jump to the answer and say yes. And kind of at the root of not loving well is selfishness. Selfishness. How does selfishness get removed and replaced? How do we be selfless? How do we serve like Christ served? The ability to love well. Questions that we need to answer before we just jump into it. And as we look at the world around us and the state of the current generations being raised, one thing that we should see is that the problem is serious. It's no small matter. It's serious. The results are disastrous. There's devastation upon devastation when we look at the generations around us and what's going on in the world. And the thing that we can conclude is that either parents have the wrong definition of love or they are approaching it in the wrong way. Either they have the wrong definition of love or they are approaching it in the wrong way. You see, we read in the Following two scriptures, the following. Ephesians 6 verse 4 and Colossians 3 verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And again, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And remember, the Bible is addressing the father. Why? Because he's the head of the house and he's primarily responsible in raising the children. And the wife comes along as a help me, to help a fit, to help the husband in all of his roles. And this isn't gender discrimination, it's just godly order. Same as in the Trinity, in the Godhead. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have different roles and there's kind of a submission to one another. And it's not because one of them is less God than the other. It's godly order. And even here, the enemy wants to come and bring confusion. Why? Because if this breaks down, then everything breaks down. Why? Because if we are not who we are supposed to be, we cannot do what we are supposed to do. There is a reason why God gives it to us. But what we read here is that either the way we're trying to raise our children will be received by them and they will grow up by it, or they will react against it. Those are the two options. There's no third option. Our kids will either receive and grow by what we try and give to them or they will react against it. And what will the reaction lead to? Anger or discouragement? And when we look around us, the world is full of that. Children that are angry or discouraged. 
aggressive or depressed. And the stats are beginning to grow all the more. Why? Because they are reacting against the way that they are raised. And not only do they react, the, the older generation reacts as well. I don't know if you've ever listened to a generation speaking about the next one. What's the common conclusion when we listen to people speaking about the next generation? Have you ever heard a generation in general happy about the next one? No. There's always, in my time, we didn't. In my time, we did it this way. In my time, we still had respect. And in my time, we still did this. And in my time, we still had... And seldom do we see a generation. And if you go and read history back, the same thing always seems to happen. Rarely is a generation happy with the next one. But what does each generation have in common? They are the product of the previous one. They did not raise themselves. Isn't that interesting? And we are drawing the conclusion if something isn't working well. And we are going to see today that it goes back further than we'd like to admit. But this morning we are going oh, this, to, this evening we are going to look at something that forms the foundation of loving well. First getting to that before we get to the practicalities of parenting. And we're going to read in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 25. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 25. Let's read together. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it might go well with you, and that you might multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies, and his statutes which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, 
and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? When you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us up from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Beautiful passage of scripture, long passage of scripture. We're going to spend some time on it today. Just look at a short part of it, but really get to the heart of it before we get to the practical side of things. And I remember the first time I read through this passage, the thing that I immediately thought of was, did it work? Did it work? Did they do this? What was the result of the generation that came after this one? Because God is speaking about these generations. You are going into the land promised to your forefathers. You must fear the Lord and your kid and your grandchildren. There's these generations that God has in mind. And always as we read through scripture, he's the God of the generations. He always has something in mind that goes further than the generation he's speaking to. And as we just reflect on the revivals that we've seen in history, there's always had to be a new revival. Why? Because we seem to have the the inability to give what God has given us, to transfer to the next generation. Otherwise, there would only have been one revival. Why? Because we're constantly imparting that to the generation to come, but constantly we don't do that. Constantly we don't do that. And I kind of wondered as I read through this, what happened? Did it work? How did the next generation look like? And we read in Judges 2, it's not on the board, but you can go and read it yourselves. In Judges 2 verse 10, and after Joshua and the people of his generation died, the next generation that was raised up neither knew the Lord nor the mighty works that he had done. How's that possible? How's that possible? They didn't know that God led them out of Egypt and they went and worshipped the Baals and they went and worshipped the gods of the people and so provoked the God of Israel. How is that possible? After God clearly gave the instruction. You see, the one thing about parenting is that on the one side, it's not difficult to comprehend. Why? Because we don't have to figure it out on our own. It's not as if God had said, hey, here's these little ones, you figure out what to do with them. And we kind of have to say, hey guys, let's get together. I have an idea. Let's put some you know, scientific method to these things. We'll constantly do this, you'll constantly do that. And after a couple of months, we meet together and see what the results are. And then we kind of tweak it from there and we see again. No. God tells us everything we need to know. Why he gives us children, how to raise them, and what the end goal should be. It's everything is laid out. So in that sense, it's not difficult because the instructions are they? Nobody struggles with parenting because they struggle to comprehend the idea. And I have to say this to us tonight, that if that is the case, if you think it's a difficult thing to comprehend, 
It's because we are trying to justify ourselves. Most of the things in the Christian life, whenever it gets complicated to comprehend mentally and there's kind of a lot of ideas and stuff going on in our head, it's because we don't want to face the facts. We don't want to be faced with the truth. And we want to justify ourselves and therefore it becomes complicated. Like the rich young man, okay, but who is my neighbor? Let's just complicate this thing. Instead of just the simplicity of loving everyone I see, let's mix it up a little bit. Why? Because I struggle to love well. So I don't want to deal with the issue. I want to make it a little bit complicated. So in that sense, parenting is easy. But when it comes to applying it, removing the selfishness and loving well, that aspect is difficult. Why? Because we are sinful people. So easy in one end, difficult on the other. And I think the reason why they didn't teach these things to the next generation is because they didn't have the ability, neither the willingness to love them well. And all of it comes down to the same core issue and we see it here in verse six, verse four to six. And it carries over to verse seven and nine. But first, verse four to six, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You see, before God addresses the parents to do something through them, he first wants to do something in them. So before the command comes through us, it comes to us. And they didn't have the ability to teach it diligently to their children because they didn't live in this truth themselves. And because they didn't do this, they couldn't do the other things as well. They didn't have the ability, neither the willingness, to love well. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, if we love God most, we love others best. Who's ever heard that before? When we love God most, we love others best. What does that mean? It means only when we love and live for God do we actually have the ability to see and desire what is truly best for us and for others. Only when we love God, only when we live for God, can we see and desire what is best for us and for others. And that is what? To know God. To know God. That is what is best for us and that is what is best for others. And you see, many times we invest a lot of things into our kids, but the end goal is not God. Why? Because it's not our end goal in life. We are not living in that reality, so we cannot impart that reality. And you see, the problem with the Israelites in this moment is they are too focused on the land that they are supposed to inherit that they forget the Lord who's giving them the land. And what is the result? Children that possess the land but forsake the Lord. And we see the same thing happening around us. Parents focused on the things that God gives, but not on God himself. And we have children that's focused on getting a lot of stuff, but they do not know God. Every generation that comes is more biblically illiterate than the following one. You see, when I was on school, you could, at least for the majority of the people, go through the big stories of the Bible You know, there's this flood that happened and there's the guy swallowed by the fish and there's the guy that kills the giant. You know, all of the kind of familiar stories in the Bible and and we're not alone. Yes, we know that. We kind of see something about that. But these days, even when you mention that, kids stare at you with a blank face. They don't know that. They've never heard of that before. Why? Because nobody taught them why. Because it isn't important. It's not the goal. 
And there's a lot of other things that we are focusing on. And people are doing a lot of things for their kids. But it's not loving them well because the end goal isn't God. Are you with me? Might be the world's definition of love, but it isn't God's. Because we don't have the willingness, the ability to love well. You see, stats say that 75% of teens will either leave the faith or profess to be Christians while living like the world before their first year of college. 75% will either forsake the faith or live like the world. Can we just for a moment be faced with the reality of things and how serious this is? And why, why is that the case? Because either it isn't the priority of parents or parents are telling them to do something that the parents themselves are not busy doing. What do we call that lack of integrity? That is hypocrisy and what does it do? It provokes them to anger. How do we feel when people are hypocrites? How does the world respond? It's provocative. We don't like that. It provokes something inside of us. And it leads people to either become angry or become discouraged. Why? Because parents are constantly expecting something of children that they have no idea how that looks because it isn't being modeled to them. How does that even look like? You see, because the sad reality is if a child in the time of this passage went to their parents and asked them, Dad, Mom, what's the most important thing? What would the answer have been? Hear my child, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And these words that he commands us must be on our hearts. But dad, why don't we see that? Mom, why don't we see that? We are first supposed to receive the commandment before we can give the commandment. And the question we need to ask ourselves today, will will we be happy if our children become who we are? Will we be happy if our children become who we are? Will you be happy if your child has the Bible knowledge you have now? Will you be happy if your child's prayer life looks like yours looks now? Will you be happy if the time in worship looks like your time in worship looks now? Will you be happy if your If your daughter marries a husband that serves his wife the way you serve your wife right now, the way you lie down your life like Jesus laid down his life for the church, will you be happy if your son marries a wife that speaks to her husband the way you speak to yours, the way you submit to your husband as you do to yours? Will you be happy? Will that be sufficient? Are we modeling what we want them to become? It's a confrontational question, but one we need to deal with nonetheless. Why? Because we cannot lead someone to where we haven't been. We cannot teach someone something that we do not know. You see, it's one thing to say that we don't have the ability to teach the gospel to those outside of the church. It's another thing to say, I don't have the ability to teach it to my children. If you cannot teach the gospel to those outside, how will you teach it to your children? Why? Because they need that. They are not born saved. It's not the church's work to teach your child about God. It is yours. It's the church's work to equip you for the work of ministry, but you need to go and do that yourself. Amen? Confrontational, but 
still true nonetheless. You see, because being a parent, being someone that walks the road of discipleship with someone else, it's a tour guide principle, not a travel agent principle. What do I mean by that? A travel agent arranges trips for people that they haven't been to themselves. You can go there, I'll book the flights, I'll book the accommodation. You go there, I haven't been there myself, I've seen the photos, looks nice. When it comes to being a parent, it's a tour guide. I'm going to take you somewhere that I've been myself. I know how it looks like here, I know how it works here. I can explain to you what to expect. Because I've been there myself. And that's the reality that we need to deal with. We first need to receive it before we can give it. And now the question, but how do I know? How do I know if this is true of my life? Because like I said, it's confrontation. We don't want to deal with this. We don't want to be confronted with this. We will rather justify than accept the truth. In general, as humans, how do I know if I love God with everything in me? Well, the first thing that I can see is in my prayer life. Firstly, am I praying for my children? Secondly, what am I praying for them for? Am I praying mostly for the land that they are supposed to possess or for the Lord that's giving the land? Which one? Lord, come and heal. Lord, come and give. Lord, come and lead. Why am I praying? Lord, please save. Lord, that they might know you. That they might see and experience your grace. For those around us, the people in our small groups, the people in our church, the people in our works, what are we praying for them for? For the land or for the Lord? For prosperity or to know God? That is how we can see. Also how we can see whether we are truly living and loving God or living for ourselves. How do we react when our children disobey us in, ho- in our houses or in public? You see, sometimes it's a little bit more comfortable when they disobey at home. Why? Because nobody sees this. doesn't make me look bad. But when they disobey me in public, it kind of makes me look bad. So something gets stirred up inside of me. A selfishness. Hey, I got you guys so that you can make me look good. This isn't looking very good. Are we raising them to glorify God? And so whether they disbehave in public or at home, it's the same thing. Why? Because it's not honoring God. Malachi 2 verse 15, God says, why has he made husband and wife one? So that there can be a godly offspring that honors him. That's the goal. That's what it means to love well, to truly desire that for our children. Godly offspring that honors God. Point, stop, finish. That and that alone, whatever comes along with that, that's good. And we also obviously desire good things for them. But that's the main focus. Godly offspring that honors God. That is what it means to love them well. Do we have the ability to love well? Secondly, if we truly live and love God with everything in us, the following will be the inevitable outflow when it comes to raising children. Verse seven to nine. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, God and his word defines and shapes everything in our family. Everything is defined by this. Every moment that I have with my children, I invest in them knowing God and his word. Why? Because I only get to raise them once. 
I only get to raise them once. Just imagine this, that as soon as that child enters your life, there's a clock that begins to tick. And the time that you have to invest and to spend with them gets less and less each and every day. And we only get to raise them once. And so what do I do when we sit at home, when we go somewhere, when we lie down, when we rise up, I teach them diligently. I use every opportunity to shine a light unto God and His Word, to instill biblical principles, because that is loving them well. And this is speaking about the willingness to do that. Not only do I see that that's important, but I'm actually willing to do that. Everything we do, as a sign on our hands, God's Word, I'm constantly busy with the things of God. As frontlets between my eyes, it's what we are focusing on as a family. And the doorpost on the gates, what the foundation of our house is built upon, is the things that we do not negotiate about. God is word. It's the things that we don't compromise on. You see, can I be honest with us today? Do you know why many of us do not study the word of God diligently ourselves? Because we don't want to. Why? Because we don't love God with everything in us. We desire the land more than we do the Lord. It's the truth. It's the simplicity of human life. We do what we want. If we truly want to do something, we'll do that. If we don't diligently study God's word, if we don't spend diligent time in prayer, because we don't want to, why don't we teach scripture diligently to our children or to those around you? Because we don't want to. Why don't we teach them how to pray? Because we don't want to. And if we do, if we do diligently study the word of God, if we do diligently teach us to our children, why? Because we want to. Why? Because God by grace has revealed to us the beauty of the gospel and we know that that is loving them well. To love them well. You see, here it's important for us not to be deceived and not to be confused about what it means to invest in our kids. Because a lot of people do a lot for them. And for sport and academics, we'll drive around the country each and every weekend if we have to. But when it comes to instilling biblical principles, we won't even read or pray with them. Because we don't have the willingness, neither the ability to love them well. And again, how do we know? It's by asking the question, what are the things that we do not compromise on? What are the things that we don't compromise on? And in light of the cost, because here's the scary truth, if we are unwilling to raise our kids, there's someone else that's more than willing. He's the enemy. And he doesn't have the ability or the capacity to love. And his desire is to destroy, to kill, and to steal. If we do not have the willingness to raise our children, I promise you, we will. And we see the agenda driven in the world around us. He's not going to take it easy on them. You know, sometimes we live as if the enemy doesn't exist. And to go to sleep without that day reading scripture and explaining scripture to our children and teaching them to pray would be like sending our child into a den of lions and telling him, good luck, buddy. See you on the other side. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. We need to see the cost. The cost and the willingness. Sometimes we do that and we send them off to bed without imparting anything into their lives. Why? Because we want to go and watch TV or be a bit lazy. Papa's moog. We, we, we don't have. We can't do that. We need to see the cost. 
The enemy is real and he's active. And if we don't raise them, he will. But there needs to be an intentionality. The ability and the willingness to love them well and to instill godly principles into their lives when we're at home, when we go somewhere, when we sit down, when we lie down, in all of life. Because time is short and we can only raise them once. And in light of that, we need to ask ourselves a question, okay, but how do I receive the ability, how do I receive the willingness to love them well? The same is true with the people around us. When I see that person struggling in small group, I see that person going through a tough time, but I'll do accountability eventually with them. I'm a little bit focused on myself right now. In light of the cost, how do we remove selfishness? I want to finish off us with verse 20 to 22. It's a shadow of the gospel. And it says the following, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and these statutes and these rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, that we will live in such a way that our children will ask us, hey, why do you live differently? Why do you do things differently? Why are we set apart? Why are we different than the people around us? And what is our response supposed to be? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. My son, we were not always saved. There was a time when we did not know God and that we were enslaved to various things. Let me tell you, dad's not the hero of this story. You see, many times we fail to testify to our kids. Why? Because it makes us look bad and in their eyes we want to be the heroes because the gospel hasn't set us free of that selfishness. But let you tell me this, my boy. Let me tell you this, my girl. That dad wasn't saved. Mommy wasn't saved. But we were in desperate need of God's grace. You know what happened? The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. How God saved us. How he redeemed us with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, we witnessed this, we saw this. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh. How God delivered us from sin and Satan. How he set us free. That is why, my son, that is why, my daughter, I love God with everything in me. And that is why I desire that for you as well. Because I have seen what God has done. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, we read it after the cross. And it says that the love of Christ compels us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all has died, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. That's why. Because we know and we have seen and we have come to realize that God died for us, therefore we have died to him. And we no longer live for ourselves. I no longer see my children as my own, but they belong to God. And I don't raise them so that they can make me look good, but I raise them so that they can be godly and honor God. Because that is the best thing for me. It is the best thing for them. That is how we love well. And there will not be a single day when I am present with them that I go to sleep without teaching them the word of God, without showing them how to pray, without praying with them myself. Why? Because I see the cost. And in light of the gospel, I have the willingness and the ability. It's the only way. Nothing else will produce this in us except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and let's pray.